So let's pray. Jesus, thanks for uh, your word to us, and we pray that you'd help us to understand it in our mind, and, and, and I pray that it would go down into our heart and we would believe it. And Father, we, we ask for you to just bless us in a, uh, a deep, at a deep level today, that we would uh, know something and we'd feel something um, that, that is real. Uh, Lord, this world has so much to offer, uh, but God, it doesn't offer the, the thing that you offer which is fellowship with God and, and true satisfaction. And God, I pray that you would help us uh, to know you from your word a little bit better today. In your name I pray, amen. Well, we are going verse by verse through the book of Exodus. We've been journeying for a few months going through this book, and we've hit chapter 20, which is a very famous part of the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments. You guys heard of the Ten Commandments before? All right, it's, uh, yeah, they're everywhere, and we have learned a lot about these Ten Commandments so far. We've gone through the first two. We're going to be on the third one today, which the Ten Commandment we're going to look at today is the third one, which is don't take his name in vain. Mwahaha. Very misunderstood commandment. A lot of people don't understand what this means. We've already looked at two of the commands. The first one was have no other gods beside God. Um, and then we looked at no carved images. We can't have any carved images, no images of God. And today we're going to look at this third one. Uh, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, which another way to say that is don't misuse the name of God. Don't misuse the name of God. But first, before we get into what this commandment is, I want to continue looking at why we need to study the Ten Commandments in 2018 in Denver, Colorado right? Because there's 10 commandments. Uh, these were written thousands of years ago. How can they possibly apply to our lives today? And furthermore, you can't go to heaven by keeping the 10 commandments. <gasps> How dare you say that? God gave these 10 commandments. How can you say you don't go to heaven by keeping these 10 commandments? Well, because you can't keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. You can't keep them perfectly. And so if, 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 if you decided to live your whole life in perfect obedience to the Ten Commandments and you got to heaven, God would welcome you in. He probably would be excited to bring you in. In fact, he probably, during your life, would rip open the sky and say, well done, my good and faithful son. I, I am well pleased in you. But he hasn't done that with us because we don't do that. We can't keep the Ten Commandments. They just tell us how much we fail to meet God's standard. God's standard is high. He says, don't ever have another God. And if you do have a God, if you break one of the commandments, how many have you broken? All of them. You break one of them, it makes you a law breaker. Let's pretend that... Who should I make fun of? Nathan. Let's pretend Nathan got, got arrested this last week for murder. And, and it was really a rough situation, and he got arrested, and he goes before the judge, and he says, but judge, I'm an elder at the church, and I, I do so many good things. Every time I see an old lady, I help her across the street. Every single time. Judge says, but did you murder this person? And he says, well, yes, but look at all the good things I did. And the judge will say, I don't care. You're crazy and you're going to jail forever because you're a lawbreaker. 
you broke a law, you get a penalty, and the penalty doesn't go away because you tried your best to keep the other rules. It doesn't work that way. A lawbreaker is a lawbreaker is a lawbreaker. So, with all that being established, we're looking at why we have to study these Ten Commandments. What is this saying to us in 2018, these Ten Commandments? Is this just ten more rules for us to add to our life to live by? Is this just a reason to not watch a movie or to think that we're better than someone else we hear talking on the street? A lot of people break this command of not taking the Lord's name in vain, right? We hear it all the time, blah, 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 blah. And and do we get to think that we're better than them because we don't speak that way? Romans chapter 3, if you could keep your finger in in Exodus, um, but turn all the way to the other side of the Bible to Romans, we got to look at this verse first. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. You see the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you see Acts. Then you see first to second, or then you see Romans right there. So Romans chapter 3, verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, these are these Ten Commandments, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped, that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So what are the Ten Commandments useful for? What abilities does it have for human beings in 2018? Well, it gave us a few abilities right here. Number one, it can shut every mouth. It can tell you to shut up. Oh, but I'm a good person. Shut up. That's what the law is able to do. Oh, but I've tried really hard to impress God and to measure up to, you know, when I get to heaven, he's going to put me on the scale and my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds. And the law says, shut up. You can't think that way. You are guilty, a lawbreaker. So that is one ability of the law. Have you ever been a prideful person? (laughs) Yeah. I I have in my life where I thought the law told me how great I was. Look how much better I am than the other people in high school, in college, at work, in this world. Look how much better I am than Hitler. We, when we use the law to try to compare with other people, we're missing the whole point of the law. The law isn't comparing you with anyone else. It's comparing you to God and his perfection. And it tells you, shut. You're not as good as God. You don't measure up, okay? We, um, we can, so the law cannot justify us. The law cannot save us. The law can only show us, it said it can reveal our sin. It can only show us how fall, far we fall short of his standard. So why are we going to study this for the next 10 weeks? Well, seven now, because there is wonderful news at the end of that. And you guys know what that is. And if you don't, you're going to find out today, fixing to find out. All right, looking at this verse again, or let's look at the next two verses, verses 21 through 22 in, in Romans chapter three. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. 
So there is salvation to be found in the Bible, but it's not in the Ten Commandments. It's not in the law. It's not in the rules. But how many people think church is all about rules? Right? You may think that. But it's not. That is not where salvation is found. It says here, it's found simply in faith in Jesus Christ. And what kind of righteousness do you get when you have faith in Jesus Christ? You get the righteousness of God just given to you. Fulfillment of all the Ten Commandments just given to you. When you trust in Jesus, God sees you as if you have never broken a law. That's the position that you're in when you simply trust in what Jesus did. It's wonderful. The law cannot save us from our sins. It only helps us understand how horrible, sinful we are. It only yells at us, you need a Savior. That's what it says. And when you came to believe in Jesus, it doesn't change its tone. The Ten Commandments doesn't change what it says. It still yells the same thing. You are guilty. But we are free from the law by faith. So this is the confusing part. What do we do with the law now that you guys have come to believe in Jesus and you're following Jesus? Do we just throw the law away? Do we do our best in our own effort to keep it? Well, look at verse 31. We're still in the same chapter. We're just cruising through Romans chapter 3. Verse 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? He says, certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. What does that mean? The law is not useless. It's not useless. If we read the whole next chapter, chapter 4, we see that the law foretold the way that life would look when faith in Jesus finally came. In other words, the law is a blueprint, a blueprint of how our lives would practically play out when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, what will you look like? You'll look like a law-keeping person, even though you're not trying. That's just what it's going to look like. So the law is not necessarily for us, this standard that we're trying to keep, but no, 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 it's a promise of how you will look when you surrender to Jesus and when you believe in his name and his power and his life force comes to live inside you and that's called the Holy Spirit. So we don't reject the law. We love the law. We establish the law because it's a promise that's fulfilled for us through the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? All right. We look to the law and we see a building that Jesus builds us into. He's, as we look at him through faith, he is building us into a building that looks like these Ten Commandments. The law doesn't build us itself. It just showed the plans or the blueprints. Jesus does the building and only Jesus. If we ever try to follow the blueprints on our own, we will never, ever, 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 ever succeed. Did I emphasize that enough? Ever. We don't have the right... We don't have the right materials. We don't have the right resources to build this building. We don't have the tools. We might be a tool. But <laughs> the law is our blueprint and it belongs to Jesus. He will follow it 
He will complete it. So what do we do? We just come to Jesus in faith. Check it out. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you go to Revelation, you've gone too far, but it's real close to Revelation. Just go all the way to the right in your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. You've got to see this one. I love this one. The law is a blueprint. Jesus is following this blueprint, building it in your life because he's got the resources. He's got the hammers and the nails spiritually to make this happen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. It says, coming to him. That should be underlined in your Bible, highlighted. It's such an important verse, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. How about that? A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. How are we built up? This verse says, coming to him. That's what we do as to a living stone. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's not a dead stone. What are dead stones? The Ten Commandments written on stone. Old, regular, old rocks. He's different. Jesus is alive. He's not dead. And so when we break a commandment, but we're in Christ and we come to Christ, do we get the dead answer of, you failed, you're terrible, so get out of my sight. No, we get the living grace of come to me. I will wash your sin. I will, I will fix it and I will work in your heart so that does not dominate you anymore. He's alive. He doesn't just stand there and condemn us. He accepts us and he bleeds for us. That's the main difference between someone who's alive and dead is they bleed. Rocks don't bleed. But Jesus bleeds because he's alive, right? He gives his life and he supplies us with all that we need. So the consequence of coming to him in faith is that we are built up. We grow. He makes our lives look like the structure of the Ten Commandments, the the Ten Commandments become what our lives look like. So let's dive in now to the third commandment. Not to try and keep it, but to know that as Jesus is building into our life, his life, we will keep it as we come to him in his grace. All right? So all that was just intro. Here we go. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Other versions you may read may say, don't misuse the name of Yahweh. When you see Lord in capital L-O-R-N-D, all capitalized in your Bible, what it means is they're translating the actual name of God of Yahweh. Uh, some people would used to say Jehovah. 
You guys heard that before? Well, that's, that's, what it, that's kind of a bad translation of it. But Yahweh is the closest we can tell of what it actually would have sounded like in the Hebrew language. In Hebrew, though, they didn't have the vowels. They would just put Y-H-V-H in, in those, that order, and, that, and they knew that that meant the name of God. Okay? And it just means like the becoming one. or It's his name. It's his identity. So basically what this means is that God doesn't want anyone outwardly to present the impression that they know him if they really don't know him in their heart. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Don't misuse the name of... You don't know me. What are you saying my name for? You don't know me. You don't own me. <laughs> Dana and I say it all the time. Uh, they just talk, people sometimes just talk about God without the respect and honor and reverence that his position and glory demand. So there's three ways that I've found that we can break this command. So yes, we're going to spend some time talking about how awful you are. But don't worry, because at the end, we're going to come in and see what Jesus has done for us. But we're taking out the bats right now of the law, and we're just going to whoosh, whoosh, just make it hurt. Ready? Ready? Number one, profanity. When we're using the name of God in blasphemy and cursing, it's not appropriate. To place, uh, to, we use, sometimes we use the name of Jesus or God to take the place of a curse word. Or when we're calling down curses in his name when he would do nothing of the sort. Do you remember the story when uh, the disciples and Jesus were walking through the city and, and they were going to do something in the city and the people in the city said, we don't want you here. And the disciples were like, hey Jesus, should we call down fire and lightning to kill all these people? And Jesus is like, what? You have, you have no idea who I am. He told them, you have no idea what spirit you are of, right? God doesn't want to kill people, even if they reject him. No, there will be a judgment at the end time. But in this life, he is so full of mercy and grace. And he is, we are going to die for our enemies, not condemn them. We don't pray that God kills Muslims. We're going to go to those Muslim countries and give our lives for them. That's what we should be teaching, right? Why do we want to kill Muslims? We don't. We don't. Mm. When we complain against events in our life that God has obviously allowed, gosh darn it. We say stuff like that. You hit your finger, you know, with the hammer and, and you call down curses. It's not appropriate. God has allowed that event to happen in your life. You should thank him that you didn't die. <laughs> That's right. Complaining against people who were made in God's image. Cursing people. I hate that person. Really? Sounds to me like you don't understand the heart of God. Jesus said, if you call someone a fool, you're in danger of hell. And what he's getting is the heart of this. People were made in God's image, and if you are asking God to send them to hell, that is not the way that God says to handle things. That's not love. So, profanity is our first one. Our second way that we can break this command is 
carelessness. Using the name of God in a superficial, stupid way. Like making oaths and not keeping them. Like, I vow before God to honor my marriage vows. And you break them. You're, not, you're breaking this command. You're not honoring the name. You're making a foolish oath or you're not keeping your oaths. Like, if you cheat on your taxes, if you steal from your boss money or time, these things break this command. Because you've made an oath to serve that person. You've called on the name of God, said, by God, I, I, you know, they, at, at court they have you put your hand on the Bible, right? That's because of this. Not taking the Bible seriously is being careless with the name of God. The Bible says, God says in this, he honors his word above his name. He honors his word above his own name. So if we struggle with not believing that the word of God is the infallible word of God, we are breaking this command. So believing in evolution is breaking this command. Don't tell me you believe in evolution because of science, because no one is that dumb. Hey, let's put our trust completely in an unobservable, non-scientific theory that contradicts every single known law of science. Yeah, you're not that dumb, are you? No. No, when we really get down to it, people believe in evolution because it's another option besides God. Unless you're really confused by bad science. It's just a convenient way to believe, uh, a convenient lie to believe in so that we don't have to honor God as the creator and sustainer and giver of law and life. You don't have to believe in the perfect revelation of the Bible, the word of God. Believing in evolution, when we believe in it, we don't honor the word of God. And thus, we don't honor the name of God because God honors his word above his name. Because Jesus, whose name is the word, he said himself that he made the world at the beginning and he did it in six days and Adam and Eve were at the beginning and that the book of Genesis was true. All those were said by Jesus himself. So if you don't want to believe in Jesus, fine. But just say it. I don't want to believe in Jesus. And that's, it's over, okay? Jesus came in the name of God. Like Lightning McQueen bears the name of Rusty, or Rusty's. Is it Rusty's? Yeah, right? Okay, you get that, right? He comes in the name of Rusty's. All right. So you can't follow Jesus if you don't believe that he was telling the truth. In other words, if you believe Jesus was lying about creation, then you think Jesus is a liar and you can't obviously trust him to save you from your sin because he's a liar. Mm. Or he was wrong or he was stupid. Oh, he just didn't have the modern science. Whatever. You can disprove evolution with modern science so fast. It's, it's just fun. Okay. So, carelessness with the word of God. Carelessness with the name of God is the second way. The third way is through hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. 
This is claiming to be a follower of God, having his name on your life. I'm a Christian! But acting in a way that dishonors him. So has anyone ever done that? Mm. We do break this command, don't we? Hypocrisy is the, is the height of taking the, name's Lord, the name of the Lord in vain. Calling yourself a follower of Jesus and denying him by the way you live. Right? DC Talk. That was a 1995 Christian joke. Babylon B would be proud. Uh, look, at, look at Matthew chapter 20, 15 with me. Matthew chapter 15. We got to see what Jesus says about this. Oh, yeah. I like your little comments. <laughs> Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9. Jesus says, Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth but, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In vain? They're taking the name of God in vain? What does it mean? They're saying they follow Jesus and worship Jesus, but it means nothing because their heart does not agree. God does not care what you say about yourself. I'm a Christian. God doesn't care what you say. Where's your heart? Jesus sees the heart, and we cannot fool him. You can hide your heart from everybody else. You can hide your heart from your spouse. You can hide your heart from your friends. You can hide your heart from anybody except Jesus. He knows the heart. Hebrews 4 says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who we must give account. Wow. Right? Wow. The heart is, this is the heart of the command. Jesus says, God rejects vain worship. Worship that's in vain. Now we had a, we had a wonderful time of worship up here, didn't we? But I have no idea what was going on in your heart. You don't have any idea what was going on in my heart. I could have been just performing, rock and roll. That could have been my heart. But on the outside, I'm like, holy, holy is Jesus. Oh. Look at me, I'm so pious and, and, and important and humble. You don't know what's in my heart. I don't know what's in your heart. I don't know why you come to church every week. I don't know. But God knows, and we must give account, right? You can't hide. Now, you come to church, and you can't hide. But you also can't hide in your bedroom. You can't hide in the bathroom, and you can't hide anywhere. He knows all your deepest, darkest secrets. And he loves you. But he won't take vain worship. He won't accept it. He said, in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Taking his name in vain or, or worshiping in vain is connected here with legalism. 
legalism. Placing your hope in a human effort to keep a rule or a command or to look a certain way is the opposite of humbly coming to Jesus in faith. That's what we see here. Taking his name in vain is saying, look at me. Look how good I'm doing with this. And it's hypocrisy. When we take his name, we take it with humility. And we say, I'm a Christian because I suck at everything. I cannot keep the law. I am wicked. I am awful. And if you saw how wicked and awful I was, you would all run out of here and never come back. But Jesus has loved me. And I've accepted his love. And that's all we have. That's all we are. What if Christians acted that way? What would our reputation be in this world? Not what it is. There's a lot of idea out there that Christians are all better than you. Because they take this commandment and they just let it be surface. I don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Look at how I cuss. Gosh darn it. And that's so much better than you. Right? Aren't we just as bad in the heart? It's awful. We break it. And this is where we hit a stop sign. And we got to ask ourselves this question. Do I hate the idea of human merit impressing God? Do I hate that idea? Do I despise when I slide over to that opinion? Well, I'm going to go to church this week, even though there's a lot of snow, because I want to look good. Do we, are we awake enough to realize how disgusting that is in God's sight? It's full on worthy of hell. And we just do it all the time. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I wear this Christian t-shirt because then people will know how holy I am. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to behave this way. Or I'm going to do that thing. It's all a list of rules and none of it is from the heart when we're worried about other people's opinions except for the one opinion that matters, God who sees the heart. He sees inside where it's naked and it's open. You can't put clothes on your heart. Hmm. This hatred of human effort is only produced by the Spirit of God in our hearts. It's the only place it's produced. The new covenant plants the seed of pure humility. I cannot obtain what Jesus offers to me. I can't work for it. Have I learned by the Holy Spirit to cease striving in my own efforts? I cannot teach you what only the Spirit can teach you guys. In fact, my best way of teaching you is putting a list of 10 rules up for you guys to keep. But the Holy Spirit, he can teach you by writing those rules on your heart, changing your very desires so they line up with those rules without you even having to consider them. You just desire them from the heart. This command is clear, okay? God is holy. It is he is different than anything in the world, and it's 
It's more important than anything you will ever say to not place him above everything else in your life is sin and and will have consequences, he says. To think that God doesn't see or know when we're faking it is ridiculous, right? He knows when we're faking it. God sees it and it's not acceptable to him. We are guilty. So what is acceptable to God? Why do we come here and sing songs to him? And, and you guys all walked in here like you own the place. You all walked in here like you, this, you're totally acceptable in here. How can we think we can come into God's presence and be accepted and fire doesn't come down from heaven to devour us? Turn to Matthew 6, 9. Matthew 6, 9. Yeah, I watched you guys come in and not a single one of you was looking for lightning. Like, Maybe you didn't sit next to the person you thought might get struck by lightning. (laughs) If coming to God and, and telling him you love him is not acceptable, but only from the heart, then what is acceptable? What is acceptable? Let's let the words of Jesus lead us. Let's just look at Matthew 6, 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When you're approaching God, when you're coming into God's presence, that's prayer, and Jesus is teaching us about that right now. And he says, when you pray, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The only way to be enabled to hallow the name of God or to to elevate it to its proper state, to be able to keep this third command is to know him as your father. That's the only way. This is the way the new covenant provides for us. Jesus' words provides for us. He says this. In other words, You have to be born again. It's the only way. You have to be adopted into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Then he becomes your father. When a person humbles himself and admits that they're not able to measure up to this command or any command, then they place their hope and trust fully on Jesus, saying, I believe Jesus died for me. In my heart, I truly believe that. They are instantaneously spiritually adopted into God's family. Into the heavenly family. The old man that they were is killed on the cross with Jesus. All the sin they ever did is murdered on the cross, punished on the cross, and done away with forever. And we are born again as pure as anything. And the Spirit of Jesus is then planted in their heart, the Holy Spirit. And they're born again as a new being. What this means is that God's grace accomplished the very thing that we could never do in our own efforts. God's grace accomplishes it. We can never perfectly keep the command to honor the name of God in every way. Can you do that? No, all that we've studied today, we cannot do. 
But now we receive a new heart where everything is real. We can't fake it anymore. And we truly enter, enter, enter into God's presence by the blood of Jesus. And our hearts desire nothing but to feed on the life of Jesus. We just want to believe more. We just want to receive more of what Jesus has for us. We don't need to try to prove ourselves by law-keeping. Law-keeping is just a natural byproduct of a life that's been given the Spirit of God by a Father in love. We keep this command completely when we simply believe the words of Jesus in faith casting our hope upon him. Faith is what makes us righteous. Faith is. We are forgiven for our breaking the command by faith in the death of Jesus on the cross, and we're changed so that we keep this command from our very hearts by faith in the resurrection life of Jesus. His death shows that our sin is washed away. His resurrection shows we've been given new life. Very simple. And I'm speaking probably to two audiences right now. I know that. And one group of people here believes that Jesus died for them and they've placed their faith and hope in him. And so I exhort you in that group, if that's you, to grow in believing more in the resurrection life of Jesus. Come to him in faith today and receive all that the new life that he's willing to pour into you. Every day is new and fresh with Jesus, right? But then there may be another group here that has yet to decide to place their trust in the death of Jesus Christ for themselves. They have yet to see their guilt and so they sense no need for the blood sacrifice of Jesus to satisfy the wrath of a righteous God on their personal sins. And if this is you, I beg you to consider the love of God. Although you and I are guilty of sin, so much sin, and even one would send us to hell, but we've committed sin on top of sin on top of sin, and we are going to hell. But God has demonstrated to us his love that he would die for us before we believe, before we were even born. Jesus has seen your helpless, guilty state and he has performed the greatest act of love imaginable. Jesus willingly and lovingly sacrificed his own life on the cross so that you could be truly forgiven and adopted and accepted as a child of God. This Jesus offers you life today. Forgiveness of everything. Full and complete access to God through his own life. And you may accept it if you believe, and I'm trying to convince you to believe. Absolutely. The world, the, there's a common attitude in the world today that it's fine for you to believe in Jesus. Jesus. But do not try to tell me what I must believe in. And we, do you guys hear that? All the time? Yeah, you know what they're doing? 
exactly what they're telling you not to do. They're telling you, my religion is that you're not supposed to tell me what to believe. So I want you to follow my religion, is what they're saying. We are saying, believe in Jesus and go to heaven. That's our religion. We're supposed to tell everybody and try to convince everybody. They're doing the exact same thing, but they just don't see it. They're just blind to it. Everybody's trying to convince everybody of their, their perspective, right? How do you know if God is your Savior? Jesus is offering you life. How do you know that that's really happening to you today? Do you feel the Spirit of God inviting you to accept this free gift of grace? All that's required of you is faith. We enter into God's family by faith and we are kept and abide in him by faith. So I ask everyone this question, do you desire in your heart to trust in the sacrifice of Jesus or not? If you don't, I understand. But if you do, you simply look to him in faith. Ask him to forgive you and it's done. So simple. If you don't yet feel your need and you don't yet believe that you're a sinner, then wait. Keep looking at these laws. Keep coming back. I invite you to come back next week and we'll look at another law and find out how terrible you are at keeping that one. And we're going to keep doing this over and over. We're going to bring the law and show you your guilt until you realize you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And then we're hoping that the Holy Spirit, and you respond to his invitation to accept Jesus as your sinner. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is pleading with every one of you. Be reconciled to God. It is available Hopefully you hear the voice of the law today saying, you suck and you need a savior. And if you hear that voice, then just call out to Jesus and say, save me. And he will. Jesus will still be here with his offer of grace, but I beg you to not put this off long. God is patient, but the enemy desires to distract you. The moment you walk out of here, he is going to be putting thoughts in your mind of, well, wasn't that cute? Oh, it's not really that important. Look, you're back to your regular life. None of that really mattered. He's going to do every, He's really good at providing distractions. And he'll cause you to ignore it long enough to where you forget the offer of grace and you'll forget about God and you forget about church and soon enough you'll be dead and you'll wish you hadn't forgotten. Amen? Let's sing a song. Would you guys stand with me? During this last song, we, we have communion over here. And if you believe in Jesus and you have asked him to forgive you and you're walking with him, you have every right to come up here and take communion. If you don't yet believe, then I would encourage you to wait because this is a sign that you believe. This is a symbol that you believe. It's not magic. It's not anything like that. But uh, taking the cracker is remembering that Jesus gave his body to be broken for you. And when you take the cup, you're remembering his new life that has been poured into you. So I invite all of you during the song to come up at your time, at your convenience and, and uh, take communion. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your great love, 
your compassion on us that while we were sinners, you gave your son to die on the cross. And Lord, I believe and I receive that cleansing in my life. I receive his life for me. And I pray that all my brothers and sisters here would follow me in that. I pray that if there's anyone here who has never once uh, asked you to forgive, they, maybe they've learned something new about you, learned about your gospel, your good news today, and, and they want to call out to you and they truly feel it in their heart that they know they're guilty, but they believe that you are the sacrifice for that sin. Lord, I pray that they would just pray with me right now. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me and I'm asking you to save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to surrender my life to you. I confess that I'm a sinner and I've always desired sin, but now I desire you. I can't change myself, but I'm asking you to change me. And if that's the first time you've prayed that prayer, then this moment you've been born again. New life has been given to you and you can rejoice because angels are rejoicing at the brightness of glory that's been granted to you. In Jesus' name, we just praise you, Jesus. Amen.